Scantovers, and you. A quick reminder of the do's and don'ts when slipping sideways through the plaidstrom. While cubing is an effective way to navigate through the Scantovers, one mustn't freeze their face in an attempt to spot those pesky scants. Um, I just need you to say, okay. 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 Not like that. That's awful. Okay. 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 All right, motherfucker. All right. Welcome back, guys, to Doom Patrol Radio, your favorite interdimensional podcast, this side of the painting. My name is Mark. And my name is Nathan. (laughs) And we're not doing the social media drops today. Uh, because today we're talking about ooh, Dumb Patrol, which might be a dumb idea to to not plug your social media, because then what's the, how people are going to find us, how people are going to know what we're doing. But uh, if you found this show, then you're already listening to it, so let's get started, right? Listen to uh, the <laughs> listen to last week's where we did do the social media, and you just got to listen to like the first like two minutes, and you'll be good. <laughs> this is in two minutes? Oh, that's where they are. Okay. All yeah. Right, cool. Yeah. Uh yeah, today we're talking about episode seven of season two, which means we only have two episodes left, Nate. You're subscribing to that uh that news of only nine episodes? Is there other news to not subscribe to? No, but I just don't want that to be the truth, so Well, you got fake news, you got some conspiracy of other other uh, other episodes out there? I'm a denier until <laughs> I see it, you know? The, the nine episode Doom Patrol season two denier. Yeah, there's more episodes. They got it hidden in a vault somewhere. They do. It's hang on. Let me call up my buddy. Walt. Release the the more episodes of Doom Patrol. Cut. It's a long hashtag. Yeah. Well, what are you gonna do about it? Shorten it. <laughs> um, today's episode Doom Patrol was. Uh, let's see here was directed by Jessica Lowry and, again, written by Eric Dytel and Tamara Betcher-Wilkinson, uh, the two writers who also wrote Sex Patrol. And, uh, you know, Nate, this this is another fantastic episode, I got to say. But what did you think about today's episode? It was fantastic. It was fun. It was, uh, it was, it was goofy in, like, the right ways. Um, you definitely got, like, a... Uh, a, a, a Willy Wonka chocolate factory kind of esque feeling at some points where it's just like, this is, this is fun. Um, again, it's another episode where they're, uh, embracing the weird and wacky, um, mm-hmm. n- not so heavy, but, uh, you know, just, uh, just, just the right amount, um, without you having to like huddle up into a ball and, and cry. Speaking yeah. from, from me, that's just me. There's a mirror in front of me. Um, yeah, it's it was great. Uh, it was really good. It was especially from uh, judging judging the source material. You know. Yeah, and speaking of source material, like this is probably the most Gerard Way Doom Patrol episode we've gotten mm-hmm. so far. Like I know a lot of people get the Grant Morrison, and we're also seeing. Um, you know, we're also seeing like the Rachel Pollock stuff um, since Dorothy is kind of here. Um, we want to see more of that, of course. But Jardway has been something I think you and I, I don't know if we've said it on the show 
um, or just behind the, you know, off, off mic, but we've been talking about wanting to see some of the Gerard Way stuff and definitely talked about Casey showing up and, you know, with Danny, the wheel now in existence, Danny, the ambulance would be something cool to see. Um, today we're talking, we're going to be talking about the scans in today's episode, which, uh, comes from Gerard Way's Doom Patrol. I think issue seven was the issue yep. where that, where that's focused in. Yep. Um, and what's cool about that issue is that it that issue itself when you read it yes it introduces the scans but it also reintroduces Niles Calder into mm-hmm. that 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 run of Doom Patrol officially yeah yeah and he has he he is and also takes the Doom Patrol on like this very Arnold Drake oh, yeah. like Doom Patrol run and it's it great. It, it takes it really takes you a moment to like get what's happening. Uh, but then once you get it, then you're like, this guy's lost his marbles. It's like, but that's a, it's such a cool way that Gerard way does that. But what I'm trying to get at is that I, you know, you said it just a couple minutes ago, but like they do a great job, especially Eric Dytel and Tamara, they do such a great job. Um, blending the fun weird doom patrol with like the painful like mental illness stuff that doom patrols is is uh celebrated for mm-hmm. they do such a great job because it's not always too heavy duty and it's always not it's not always like um i guess dumb fun if you will like just like entertaining in that aspect they do they've always done such a great job of blending that especially with sex patrol and now with with dumb patrol um and you know this season i've actually seen some people with some criticism about this show about how it is a little too um well in their opinion i'm not saying my opinion i just i'm just bringing this criticism onto the floor because i want to get your reaction nate um some people are saying that for them, it's a little too dramatic that they want it to go into more Ar- Arnold Drake stuff and get the Doom Patrol into, like, now it's Calder being like, you know, ex- execute plan two Doom Patrol and stuff like that. I've seen some criticism where people actually want to see that type of Doom Patrol and not the Grant Morrison um, kind of like, oh, you know, I I'm only here to talk about, like, what's wrong with me kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm trying to think like the way Gerard way tackled that in his issue and the way that this episode carries that through is like, there's a way to do both. And there might be even a way to like play on, on that, that, um, that era of Arnold Drake. But, uh, I mean, first of all, do you have any reaction to that criticism before I keep going? <laughs> yeah, my reaction to that criticism is, like, um, it's, the first thing that came to my mind was, like, that criticism seems like it would uh, subside in those people if they got a CW version of Doom Patrol, um, which is weird to say that because those are also heavily dramatized, Um but they lean into uh, camp per se, but not like flashy, not 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 actual camp. They lean into tropes. 
I guess you could say. Um, mm-hmm. Especially like with Flash and, you know, in the beginning of Flash with Flavor of the Week and everything like that. And then you end up making Team Flash and then everybody has like their role. And, you know, the episode's not, not an episode unless Cisco comes out and does his vibe things, you know, or, or, or names uh, a villain funny. Yeah, it's like that. That seems to me where it's like you guys want Doom Patrol to to be nineteen sixties Arnold Drake era. That's that, then you're then you're missing the actual evolution of what Doom Patrol is and was. Like you're missing yeah. all of that. You're just kind. That's to me. That's like saying <laughs> that's the same thing as saying you ruin Superman by getting political. I just want him to fight a giant robot and punch a monster. It's like, well, you're that's not how the character evolves and that's not how writing evolved. Um Yeah. Yeah. Which Gerard Way did do a fantastic way of blending it and like adding making it that nineteen sixties era comic where it is, you know, get the band back together, get Niles Calder calling the shots, he's in his flying uh, <laughs> <laughs> Professor X, Blank, yeah. yeah, wheelchair thing. It's like that's straight up uh, X Meny Doom Patrol, um, but and like you can have that. That's 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 rad, cool, awesome. Like we do get some of that uh, feeling in the show with them working as a team, especially in the first season and everything. Um, especially in, in the pilot, you know, you you do get them working together and and realizing things are messed up um i guess the biggest thing was like niles was absent for a good part of uh this team's formation and then bonding and a lot of their bonding comes from the absence of niles and not him calling the shots and everything like that um but still at the end of the day like the doom patrol were people that had accidents that niles used to fulfill his weirdo self uh whatever you know self-fulfillment of his ego and and just like his own things um even in like the gerard way comic book it's even you get a you get a dialogue panel where it's uh you know they do the thing they 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 fight the scans they have their adventure and he comes back to the lab it's like well here this is what i was getting it for these are the guys like i owe them a debt like here this should be enough to pay him off it's like wait hang on like you just like made us go through all of that out of the blue out of nowhere like no prep no nothing just like here's our new costumes and then let's just jump into this cube ship Mm -hmm. and then go it's like okay cool there's got to be some point in your mind for you to be like that's great that's fun that's a that's a strange adventure uh you know doom patrol wackiness but also like there's, there was a twist at the end. It's to like kind yeah, of there's like a twist. Bring it back, but also the, in the back of your mind, you still have to be thinking about the turmoil of the characters, you know, mm-hmm. and that still yeah. has to get brought up in the story. Just like Batman, like how many times do you get reminded that he's an orphan and his parents died in the alley? Like you still yeah. just go back to what that is, and you still have to have to touch on that traumatizing aspect. So, yeah, the people, I think sometimes we we get too focused in on like the jim lee batman hush yeah painting and we think like oh batman he's so he's so dark and broody on that gargoyle and then you go you have to be like yes he is kind of badass up there yeah but also 
that guy is crazy. Mm-hmm. He's up there. Like he's actually traumatized to the point where he's up there just like a bat and stuff like that. We have to yeah. remind ourselves that there was a cost to that. Um, and, you- and I think that's where like, you know, if, when you're saying, oh, I wanted to get to the Arnold Drake stuff, that's kind of taking away from that because to, to, to be okay enough to have Niles Calder being like, go execute that plan, Doom Patrol. Like, let's go take out the bad guys. Then we're removing that definition of what what separates Doom Patrol from the rest of DC superheroes, which is like, these metahumans want to be human. And that's like their their real goal is to just be normal. They don't want to be fighting crime. So to make them go be superheroes in a, in a TV show and fight supervillains and all and have those wacky adventures with no, with no substance underneath it, then with no context underneath it, when, with no necessity of why they have to now fight. Cause we're going to see in, in later in today's episode, what it is for them to actually use their powers as, as heroes. Um, if we remove that, then we're taking that away that, that, you know, and I think there's, there's a right way to do it, especially the way that Gerard way did in issue seven, where it was like, Oh, I'm going to force, we're literally going to force the heroes to do one of those adventures Mm -hmm. and then come back and be like, Oh yeah. You know, this is actually what's wrong with it to, we lose that. Niles Calder is forcing him to do this. This kind of validates Niles Calder. And saying that, like, if they say yes to that plan, then it validates him for making them in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And, like, you know, everything now is called or is done, and, and we can't really do that yet. I mean, um, Space Patrol, we validated Cliff Steele's creation. Not, yeah. e- not even to mention, like, the uh, the longevity of life um, yeah. in everybody, but specifically for Cliff and, like, having a robot man that can go into space and do the thing that you needed to do. That was it right there. Plain and simple. You you got the portrait painted for you. Exactly. And we saw that with the negative woman, like, you know, that being the basis for, you know, now Larry Trainer is, is stuck with uh, his own negative spirit and stuff like that. It's like these type of things, like, it, there's, and I believe the writers can do this. Is I guess this is what I'm truly getting at. Is, is like, I, I think we could do it, but you can't just, you can't just be like, we need to put out a, a strange adventure for the sake of having that golden age doom patrol out there. Yeah. The show really cannot be that and, and still be considered a, a substantial um, takeaway. It can right. be at that point, it would just be high budget uh, action stuff with, you know, uh, we, you, you brought up Superman. If we had a, a whole movie that was just, just the death of Superman it would be Superman and Doomsday fighting, and it'd be like that kind of very simple Superman movie. But when done the way that they did it in the in the movies with uh, Batman v Superman, his death actually comes as a surprise. So you're actually surprised by his death. Like you should be surprised by someone's death. You shouldn't be anticipating. Okay, here's the part where Superman dies, and he's fighting this monster this whole time. Like there's a good way to get what you're kind of asking for, but you can't just emulate it. You can't just take those strange adventures and just put them out there and just be like, okay, you know, maybe we won't bring up like the mental illness part. Cause that really takes away from uh, a lot of why people really, cause you can't, 
you can't relate to Doom Patrol like that, you know? Like, if if I start seeing Robot Man and Negative Man fighting a giant robot controlled by Brain and Monsieur Mala, like, I can't relate to that. But we talk about, you know, the abuse that Crazy Jane endured or Kate Chalice endured and why she now has multiple personalities. People identify with that. And, you know, the... Un- the, the the take away the negative man part of Larry Trainer. If we just talk about Larry Trainer and what's bothering him all these years yeah. and like his marriage that he was in and then John, the person he wanted to be in life and, and now that's really torn apart his family. Forget the Bureau of Normalcy stuff and, and Paul Trainer and all that kind of things. Just take like the human part of it. It's something a lot of people resonate with. And yours truly uh, included. <laughs> Yeah, and that's why when when that happened in this season, and then he's like released negative spirit. That's when you you know you're pointing at the TV, going, "Yo, there it is." That's the Arnold Drake stuff that you want to see. But now there's context for it that you really resonate with. Like that's how you get both. You know, like there's just there is just a way to do it, and 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 I I just think like we're almost there. If anything, like this season has been like, we're getting there to a point where you can have some superhero action, but it's, it's so well earned Mm -hmm. by what they're, by what they're building here. Yeah. Um, so let's get into today's episode. Uh, the, the, I guess the synopsis of today's episode is, uh, while Niles heads North to find Dorothy's mother, the Doom Patrol embraces their inner morons after receiving a mysterious package. Um, and so uh, I guess let's let's talk about Niles Calder because he it's not he's kind of like the subplot here, although um, Dorothy kind of is like our, our main overall plot of, of this season. And, and Candlemaker definitely is this season two villain here. Um, what were your thoughts on on Niles Calder going going to the Yukon to search for Dorothy? Um, it was pretty cool. Um, the fact that like, it's still, um, like a magical area that he can go to and, you know, be transported, uh, to this area by just like, uh, because like he needs to, because it's like a need want kind of thing. Um, I like that. I really like that. It's like that idea of you know, magic not being there unless you kind of believe it or, or, or what have you. Uh, Kunlun, same kind of deal. Danny Rand, yeah, switching gears here to Marvel and Iron Fist and everything like that. Like, that place isn't just going to show up to you, you know? Um, it's like a resonancy issue and whatnot. But, yeah, like, that's cool that he had to go there. Um, what's What really got me and caught me off guard was that... Um, <clears throat> What he's doing, you know, this is, like, towards the end when you figure everything out. What he's doing is, like, um, the last option. And that kind of freaked me out. It was like, oh, 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 I didn't know, like, this is what you have to go through uh, to put these, to put this plan in motion kind of thing. Um, It was just, like, that was the last, yeah, last option or whatever. Um I will say that I think I missed 
I think I looked down at my notes at a point and I missed the scene change. He was in the spaceship and he was mm-hmm. like talking to Dorothy as she was like dreaming or whatever. He was like saying, you know, he he was talking to her or whatever. And then uh, all I remember, I looked up and the, the door to the spaceship was opening up and he was in the northern Yukon. Did he land the spaceship or was that like another weird travel uh, transition? Yeah, no, like he... he landed the this the whatever space shuttle mm-hmm. i keep wanting to call it sputnik thing but i i know that's probably not it's, correct it, the icarus oh the, like the icarus 2 or whatever mm-hmm. um and so he landed that over at, in, in the yukon for sure okay and so then, he landed the spaceship I, I didn't miss a a weirdo uh scene transition or something like that okay no yeah his scenes are very short it's only it only gets kind of meaty when we get to him trying to contact his um, Dorothy's mother. And then that's when the candle maker actually shows up mm-hmm. with, without Dorothy um, calling it or anything like that. And I think that's like one of the bigger takeaways is that we find out that the candle maker is actually some sort of entity that has been with the people yeah, uh, that species, uh, uh, you know. I mean, is, is is it wrong to say that he's like some sort of god? Um, no, I think I he mean, is. I, I, mean, I, I, I or it is. I, I definitely think that Candlemaker is is a. I, I guess deity would be the word. Deity, I think, would be word. this is coming spirit. from our knowledge coming off of like Suicide Squad and the Enchantress and her brother Incubus and all these things. Um, so, like, where Niles was transported to, that's where... Do you think that's where all of, like, uh, the familiars could exist? Uh, or at least just Manny and the Candlemaker? That was, like, their home, right? That's, like, where Dorothy was... That's, like, where she lived before Niles was like, all right, we're going... We're going to go find Danny. Yeah, like, that's where he found her mother, and that's when, you know, Dorothy, I think... I believe she was conceived there as well. Um, and, and that episode was also written by Eric Dytel as well back in season one. Mm-hmm. I think it was Cyborg Patrol, um, if I got the name right. And, you know, I, this is where, this is what started the Bureau of Oddities to, to kind of come about where he decided like he's preserving this because, by keeping the oddities alive, it's like keeping like magic in the air kind of thing. And so I like that you specified oddities versus normalcy. Um, Cause I think like back in like the fifties or whatever, when Niles was first on it, it was, it was called the Bureau of oddities, right? When he was yeah. searching. Yeah. That was, that's good on you, mate. That's a knife. <laughs> so, what, that's this, annoying. this right here, this is a knife. <laughs> it's Australian. Yeah. It's perfect. Australian. You should uh, try out for the uh, next uh, Mad Max movie. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> hope, I was really hoping you were gonna, uh, Yeah, it is, but I was hoping you were going to go Crocodile Dundee and keeping it. Oh, no, assuming. I thought that was like a New Zealand thing. Um, I, I can't tell the difference. Cut this out. I can't, I can't do the accents. I'm keeping it in. Um, I'm keeping it in. So what was I saying? Uh, yeah, this... Uh, this I think this kind of confirms, uh, you know, some stuff about the Candlemaker, especially in the comic books, that this is not just any of Dorothy's imaginary friends. Like, it's not something that she created 
like um, Darling and, and Herschel. Manny was given to her by her mother. Mm-hmm. And Candlemaker definitely found its way into Dorothy as well. Now, I'm going to think this through. This is coming, dumb guy, no knowledge of... Don't worry, it's Dumb Patrol, so okay, you're all so good. so dumb guy coming from this. So, like, if we're going with, like, Candlemaker being a deity and stuff like that, mm-hmm. Manny was uh, the protector, uh, per se, for Dorothy. Um, is it just safe to assume that uh, whatever power... Dorothy has to conjure these things um, that had to have been like a normal uh, like just like passive ability for like these ancient not ancient but the, these Neolithic people in the Yukon um, right? Or Paleolithic? Paleolithic um, I, I'm not sure I could have that wrong it's I don't I thought Neolithic would be is 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 the one it's, Yeah, you might it's be a timeline right. thing. It's a timeline thing. Don't 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 get stuck <laughs> up. Don't quote yeah, me on don't, this don't one. Don't worry about it. So like um uh, maybe Dorothy was is just like more in tuned with that conjure ability. Um if like the rest of the people were able to you know, uh pray or or what have you to these deities especially like candlemaker and things like that is dorothy so, like yeah, a I, shaman well she she kind of has like she is those, a shaman she has like those kind i guess if you put it in like D terms she's like a druid she could like have those conjurings of familiars and stuff like that but like that's like trying to you know i'm trying to like make it um I'm trying to break it down for for people to understand exactly what her powers are because Manny and the Candlemaker are conjurings not they're not exactly like um, they're of the people and of the culture not of Dorothy yeah Yeah, not like Darling and Herschel are like her imaginary friends unless she somehow conjured those two but you know Darling is such a a weird that's a specific thing yeah, it's like a, a lady with a mirror for her face. And, and the reason, you know, what Darling comes from in the comic books is like, in the comic books, Darling, sp- or I'm sorry, D- Dorothy Spinner really is a person who can imagine things. And her trauma is forcing her to imagine things. And it they're, they're her own constructs of, of her own psyche. And she's creating these things. So Darling really is like the idea of a woman but it's like a mirror for a face and the light bulbs are the eyes and stuff like that it's it's your mother Just, that's constantly there for you and it's it's the stay home mom uh idea uh it's yeah a comfort. put on the red shoes yeah, it's a, like, it's a comfort it, thing uh it's like a traumatizing comfort thing or like uh it's almost kind of like uh what's going on with rita far uh we'll get to it though um but like it's kind of like kind of similar of like a over over imposing mother uh kind of trauma and you know like those really are like imaginary friends spirit. That's like the superpower of actually conjuring your imaginary friends to, to be real. Um, but Manny and, and, and the candle maker actually like familiars that live inside you and you conjure them or you call upon them and they show up and candle maker is like a, a deity of death. Like that is what that is. So if Manny is the protector, yeah, you could say that 
if he's the protector of life, that Candlemaker is the the, the destroyer of life, uh, the the offender to Manny's Manny's defending, um, and and I you know I, I gotta say again the the CGI work on Candlemaker, you know there was a moment where you really kind of close close up on Candlemaker talking and all that, really good stuff out of this character. I I really you know as if we if we think of Candlemaker just like the season two villain. He's a really impressive season two yeah. villain. I there hasn't been many DC TV shows where the villain is is very interesting and entertaining. You know, like you're kind of very into the character. Mm-hmm. I think the only other time the character is a, a, a TV show has done a, a super villain that you're like interested in watching is flash with eobar thawne and you're like you know because you know how that goes with with reverse flash and all that um i really like that um and swamp thing didn't get there yet unfortunately swamp thing was trying to get there with blue devil and the uh, floronic man uh but it got canceled before that um titans was doing deathstroke which everyone was hyped for but i I don't know if it delivered the way I wanted it to. It was hype at the beginning, but it kind of fell flat. Um, and the, the Trigon stuff really went out the door. Uh, and really, Doom Patrol, their their villains are, they're they're, I, to, in my opinion, they're all hits. I mean, I I can't think of any other superhero TV show where I'm like the the villains are actually interesting besides Doom Patrol. I was. I'm trying to think of anything, even animated. That's like, oh, that's cool. What I was. What I think about. Oh, animated is different ball game, <laughs> I guess, because Young Justice has that covered. Yeah. Um, and Teen Titans. But like, what I was thinking is like, um, Candlemaker is this villain that like, uh, you you don't necessarily see an overarching plan, you know. Mm-hmm. So like, there's no need for a sinister monologue or anything like that. Here's how I did it. Here's what's going to... Your destruction will come from this kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. It's really just like... What's terrifying is that we know of just his existence. It's like... And mm-hmm. that is a thing. Yeah, Dorothy can conjure it with like her wishing and stuff like that, but you don't see Dorothy as the villain. You see a... <sighs> It's 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 tough because you see Candlemaker as the villain because he does do the violence and you've seen the violence in multiple episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, what you don't initially go to is thinking that Dorothy is the one causing that. Um, so like when Candlemaker does his violence and when he shows up to be the villain, it's so small that it's not like it's just giving you the taste. You know, it's just like this is the destruction. This is what he can do. It's not overwhelming it's not a giant monster placed in the middle of a city that's destroying things you know it's just like the subtleness of villainy that really is what takes the cake yeah absolutely i I think it might be if not the best like one of the best static villains we've ever seen because normally dc has a dc has a huge reputation of having really good villains and most of the time it's because they're so well crafted in like the way that they're not 
in their own way, they see themselves as their own hero. You know, you have General Zod and Man of Steel who are like, everyone loves that, that villain yeah. because like that character kind of like thinks of itself as, as a good person. And Candlemaker is not that. Candlemaker doesn't have to be like, yeah. oh, you know, like I'm trying to do the right thing in my own way exactly. and I've been burned like this way. Burned, no pun intended for burn. Um, but like Candlemaker just is this tall cgi monster Mm -hmm. and i love it you know it's it's already a more interesting character than steppenwolf or malekith like you know you get so many named the two worst yeah but you know like how you know we barely see candlemaker at all or do anything but already it's just such a a character you gravitate to yeah you're like yeah, I'm already entertained. Like, it's like this character doesn't really have to do much except be feared, mm-hmm. and that fear is what makes it interesting. Where you go, yeah, this is fucked up. I this scares the fuck out of me. Um, and that, and I don't know. I it's not even just because I like that it's a giant CGI monster. It's just when Candlemaker shows up, it you feel the impact that that character has. Yeah. Especially when Candlemaker showed up in the underground, it's like, oh, damn, this guy's here. This guy means business. Like, it's crazy. It's just it's just a good time to see the character. And if it scares Niles Calder, it scares us in some way. So, yeah, it's it's probably... It, it's hard to do the static villain and, and have that people actually love the character. And this is one of those characters. Um that I think really delivers. And it's so much different than Mr. Nobody, where, like, Mr. Nobody was in a, you know, fourth-wall metaphysical kind of way. Like, you know, his goal was to better the Doom Patrol as a superhero team, quote-unquote, because that's, you know, what was fun to him. Um, Again, like, doing the whole fourth-wall breaking and stuff like that, it was... The things that were happening to the Doom Patrol and what was driving them was finding Niles Calder, but what was driving Mr. Nobody and as the villain was just fucking with Niles and fucking with Mm -hmm. the Doom Patrol and, you know, just like pulling the strings and trying to quote unquote better them as heroes. It's so much different than than this villain here. I mean, yeah, we get Niles Calder as like the show's villain as as the bad guy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, like you kind of have to like wonder, it's like, okay, well, like if Niles, again, if like he didn't do these things, not, not mentioning the Tomb Patrol, but if he didn't do these things to Dorothy, then there would be no need or there would be no, uh, threat of the candle maker kind of thing. Um, so it's just like it's just a completely different villain. Again, that's why I said like the subtle the subtlety of Candlemaker is just sprinkled, it's just peppered in just a little bit enough to strike fear. And he's not concocting a, a plan that you know is going to lead up to another penultimate patrol or anything of the such. It's really mm-hmm. just like it's a it's a time bomb, and you're waiting for it to go off. And I think the go yeah. off thing is 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 Dorothy having some sort of realization? Um, yeah, and everybody just realizing Niles is a piece of shit. I mean, come on. 
<laughs> yeah, I think I think there is some foreshadowing uh, of of Niles uh, uh, of what's what will happen at the end of the season, um, and that's kind of like what the next scene we're going to be talking about um, real quick, or the next the next characters arc that we're going to be talking about, and it's it's a short one. But before we get into that, um, I just want to touch on something that you said, and and I do agree because um, we've talked about this before since we're talking about villains and other other and other media other stories you know we've brought up like the two villain thing in in stories before you know like most stories have two villains one is like the bronze one is the brains and like sometimes that's what makes really good stories is like you have your darth vader but then you have your emperor palpatine and you know candlemaker is that big bad he is the darth vader of this series of this season and niles calder can be seen as like okay but you're the one at the root of all this. Yeah. Like you're the one who's been causing all the issues, you know, we can deal with candle maker in this season and that would be great. That would be fun, you know, but you are the actual problem. And I think that's where we're at. Where our two villains are candle maker is the big bad. And then, uh, now Calder is like the, the overlord who's mm-hmm. been like, all right, you've, you fucked everything. You're the reason this all happened. Yeah. So uh, definitely interesting to keep, uh, keep a lookout for that but it, yeah the next scene i was gonna say it's oh, good that you're saying that right now because uh for those that went and read issue seven of gerard Way's, uh young animal uh doom patrol that is like said in that issue and it's said by larry and cliff like yo man like you're not you, we're done with you you go figure your own self out like you're <laughs> yeah you're a dick and yeah like it's cool that that is like blatantly stated in that issue you know, obviously it's not in, in this episode, but if you use whatever context clues that we're using, uh, you can connect the two. You know, that that issue is based off of the things that were happening in this episode. So my mind works that whatever was going on in that issue, side quest or, or, or side storyline, you know, included, you should probably take that into consideration of what's happening to the characters themselves. How they're yeah. forming. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the The next character we're going to be talking about is definitely probably the most affected by Niles Calder, which is Robot Man. He has a very simple arc, which is just his mission is to, uh, first of all, land back on Earth and then get back to, to Doom Patrol Manor so he can kill Niles Calder. Uh, but what did you think about the Robot Man arc of this of this episode? It was fantastic. I loved it. Uh, I I, I, yeah, I loved it. Um, we were talking about after our recording of last week. Um, we were just sitting on this Zoom call and whatever. We were just shooting the shit back and forth. And then I had the realization, realization. I was like, oh, hey, you remember in the trailer where Cliff like flies through the billboard? That's got to be him like coming down in, through orbit and everything like that, right? Yeah. And we, and <laughs> we were just like, yeah, it's, that, you got it. You still, and I was like, oh, sneak. So like seeing that and... <laughs> Isn't it weird, like, when you, like, call something or when you put the pieces together, you're just like, oh, my God, I'm I'm in. I'm in the know. <laughs> <laughs> I called it. I called it. They're, they're in my head. Yeah. I mean, you know, not setting aside the fucking freezer with all of my goddamn groceries inside of it. Jesus fucking Christ. Oh, yeah, the Crystal Burger. Oh, and everything. The, all of what it. Else it was, was pizza it? rolls. It was a Marie Callender Popeye. Pizza it was all of it. It was just like, that was my freezer. <laughs> you guys are fucking weird. Um, I love you. I love you so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, Cliff flying through the billboard, him coming down was great. I loved it. Um, 
it makes perfect sense. Again, you have a robot man, you can do these things, you put him in space, and then you can also, like, he's damn near indestructible. You know, thinking back in the episode where, where Niles is like, we're not going home, like, you're, and he dumps him out into space, it's like, I get that. And, like, yeah, it seems sinister when you give it that cliffhanger cutoff of 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 sinisterness of Niles, like, ejecting him into space. But also, it's like, well, hang on. Niles did have to go do other things. And we do know now that Dorothy is safe. Um, so, like, Cliff can just, like, get, you know, tossed out and fall to, fall to Earth. Like, it's a, okay, I'm, I'm cool with that. Um, the fact that he still lands in the same state, that's great. I think I'm assuming. I don't even. I don't know. I don't know where he landed. Well, he landed in America. He landed in America. <laughs> that's for sure. That's cool. Um, you know, to get that trajectory right, that's that's wild to me. Uh, but yeah, him him landing down, um, and him just like you know dropping f bombs as he's walking and just like cursing and everything. I just love that <laughs> they're bringing this character of Robot Man with this you know human brain inside a robot body where the human brain doesn't have like a uh inner thought process it's just whatever thought is is coming and and forming into the speech receptors so like all these like crazy thoughts of fuck this fuck you fuck now i'm gonna kill him i'm gonna fucking kill like these things that you would normally a normal human being would be like thinking to themselves is just getting blurted out by robot man and it's fantastic yeah um, I think we talked about that and, and every, every episode I'm more confirmed that like he can't filter what he thinks because yeah. what he thinks just becomes speech. Yeah. Um, so I think whatever he thinks comes out. We even get a little bit more. So this is another thing that I love about the character, just little details and stuff. I've mentioned it a couple times where he does this, uh, sort of like mumbling mantra to just like psych himself up. Uh, when he's about to go do something. And, I mean, I'm just attributing that to Brendan Fraser and his acting ability to just, you know, make the character his own and whatnot. But um, he ends up getting into, like, a uh, the, like the back-receiving dock of a grocery store or, or a shipping facility, whatever the fuck. Mm-hmm. He's, it's just a road. There's, there's things. Um, and his legs stop moving. Uh but then, like, he goes to try to, like, you know, it's like, oh, this happened This ha- it's happened before. I can get over this. I can do this. And he does the whole, like, mm, uh, mm, uh, blah, like, he centers himself and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. I fucking love that shit. And I don't know why, but it's just so perfect to me. And, like, I can see, and I know it's just his voice, but, like, I can see Brendan Fraser doing that acting and whatnot um it's i don't know it's just a good character trait and it's something that i have attached myself to throughout all of this um but yeah i loved it i love i love cliff trying to you know overcome that obstacle um is that just like a thing like his his movements just like stopping is that just like shoddy workmanship or does that have to come is that coming from like still like uh admiral whiskers chewing things inside of him um i think it might be both but it's it's overall it's just a really nice kind of physical uh like slap kind of kind of weirdly slapstick comedy so don't say weird because think about it you have a robot man like slapstick is 
that's dead it comes natural well, gonna... like that that comes with it like you have a robot man and slapstick is the next step you have him falling over you have him doing the robot dance you have things hitting him you have birds crapping on his face you just have slapstick with a um, you know a statue pretty much yeah well the reason i said weird is because like the the irony is is that he can't move right so it's like to do physical comedy, he's actually immobile. Mm -hmm. So that's the physical comedy is that it's not physical. A person can't move at all. Um, But uh, besides it being funny, it's also like kind of scary because once in a while you're just kind of reminded or, you know, they do a good job reminding you all the time or not letting you forget that it really just is a brain inside a container. And so when the legs stop moving, you're like, what is it like to be stuck behind this grocery store in the middle of nowhere? And just, like, not be able to move. Like, you can see the anxiety in him being just like, okay, I'm stuck. I have no idea where I mm-hmm. am, and I'm just stuck here now. If the legs don't move and no one shows up, like, I'm just stuck here. I can, I, I don't know if, you know, Robot Man needs anything to keep moving, but he, or or he'll die or whatever. But, like, to me, I was like, oh, that's got to be traumatizing to to be stuck like that. You know, and, um, and, and like, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, to me, it was like, wow, that that's terrifying. So when he does like the, um, like it reminded me of, uh, in Francis patrol, like Rita Farr is giving him like that kind of like pep talk of how to like, uh, she, you know, she doesn't want to die in the swamps of Florida and the Everglades or whatever. So like, it just kind of reminded me of that. And I didn't know if he was doing that as like a callback to what Rita Farr was teaching him. Um, maybe so, I never, so I, never I, like I don't, rem, I don't remember that. I don't remember Rita giving him the whatever acting advice that she gave him. I remember them being on the boat, um, but no, this, uh, no, I felt like uh, the whole like mumbling thing was a, was a, was a newer thing for season two, but I could be wrong. I don't know. It's, I'm paying attention to it. That's, that's what's making me happy. No, I, I like it. I like that he has to do that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, again, like it always reminds us that it's just a brain inside a uh, a metal lunchbox. So, <laughs> yeah, he um, ended up having to do uh, 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 video shout outs. Um, some cameos. Yeah, somebody can't, yeah. Oh, the, maybe. The, yeah, that's the that's the website where you get to pay people and they say something. Maybe it was for cameo. That's kind of cool. Um <laughs> Is Brendan Fraser on Cameo? Let's look into this. <laughs> Can we get Robot Man on Cameo? It'd be cool to get a birthday shout out, right? Um, but yeah, he he does get some some help. Those man, those quick cut edits on on that shit was that had me dying in laughter. That those were so fucking good. It, that's that, that's comedy. That's my type of comedy. The quick cut. It's you know. Him disagreeing with, you know, wanting to do the shout out and then just cut to the camera view of him doing it without even any like, and him being genuine about it. Like, it was, that's comedy. That is comedy, my friend. Yeah, I think that that was my favorite part is just him doing the shout outs and him being like, he doesn't like phone it in. He's more so like. All right, I'm gonna give it my all. I've been a yeah. celebrity before. Like, <laughs> I'll fucking do it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I love it. I love that they kept it going too. It wasn't just mm-hmm. one. He, he had to be like one shout out, one phone call. <laughs> he kept trying different phone numbers. Yeah. Um, and then you know he he does 
he leaves a voicemail for Clara and um man, I didn't expect Clara to show up at, at Doom Manor, but that that was a very nice touch to see like an actual human character mm-hmm. kind of come into his life and being like, This fucking guy did all this shit to you? Yeah. Like like to kinda accept that Roa Man is her father and then be like her putting the pieces together and her coming out like while she's pregnant, like with a child, it's like, damn. Mm-hmm. What, like, it's powerful. Yeah, it's kind of like, it, for once, it's a very progressive update to Robot Man's arc. And it, I I want to see what happens with that. Like, that's probably something I'm very, like, eager to see in the next episode. To I want to see what that's like, because I, I didn't think that, I didn't think that was going to happen in a weird way. I thought that maybe they were going to end that. Like, oh, yeah, you don't deserve your daughter in any capacity because of, you know, you're not a great person either. And I thought maybe that's where they were ending that mm-hmm. um, with Time Patrol. Um, and so to see her at Doom Manor, I was like, oh, wow, she actually is going to come in and give him a chance and and, and see where that gets him. Um, so I, I hope it works out, and I'm, I'm very curious to see how that works oh, out. Oh, yeah, very uh, excited. Um, moving on to our next uh, character having their, their own solo arc is Rita Farr. The beekeeper. <laughs> um, what I really liked about this is it's kind of like it's how the episode starts. Um, but this is where uh, Mickey Harris, who's like the the production runner of Our Town, she shows up of the the Cloverton players. And uh, one of the first things I, I, I said to myself when I saw this episode beginning, I was like, did this lady really just walk into Doom Manor like she knows where it is. And like she walked into her room and. I should have known there was something weird about yeah. this. Uh, yeah, because they were saying like the the lady who was casted as Rita Farr, she got hit by a tractor trailer, and I was like, I was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> but I should have known it was a dream. It was so some goofy ass shit happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what did you what did you think about this one? Because uh, this is probably we're we're getting there with Rita Far, you know. Yeah, it was definitely a uh, a good uh, a step in the right direction for Rita. Um, uh, being able to talk with the beekeeper obviously was a was a big deal, and um, yeah, the whole like dream thing was silly. Um, I first was like thinking that like you know I I was thinking that it was real, and that uh, when she was seeing her mother, that was just like an apparition like okay she's starting to see you know she's just starting to see that um so like i didn't really pay attention to it until it was like you know an obvious dream um shit man it got me uh the mother's uh actions uh, it, it, it put me beside myself for a moment it's like <laughs> whoa yeah all right you're we're in it. Yeah, we get yeah. it. We get it's it. Like, dang! Whoa, snap! My mom watches the show too. <laughs> um, it was solid. I, I it was great. Um, but Rita being able to talk with the beekeeper and uh, her as a mother kind of thing was was big. Um, uh, the daughter's name is Rhiannon. Uh, there you go, Fleetwood Mac reference. Uh, Daughter was stupid as shit. Again, Fleetwood Mac reference. <laughs> is that really all? Of that? I, Who knows? I don't maybe know. Maybe, maybe. This is me taking it because, you know, Fleetwood Mac is Fleetwood Mac. They had one good album and it was for the drama. A couple good songs. Uh, 
but yeah, well, yeah, Rhiannon is like I don't know if that was directly from it, but I whenever you know whenever I hear that name, it just immediately goes to Stevie Nicks. Um, but anyway, um, when Rita, you know, when she like told her to, the beekeeper told the daughter to grab the honey and take it, you know, so she would pass the test, and that immediately like atomic bomb as I was watching, and then Rita's quick follow up with "You shouldn't do that," like. Blew my mind. It was like, oh, so like Rita actually is addressing that issue that like she she has and she can see it in other people. Snap! Like this is this is great. Um, this yeah. is incredible. Uh, and then like hearing another mother kind of talk her through that, which I don't necessarily think that uh, the beekeeper was right in her parenting. But then again, who is? You know, I don't know. I'm not a parent. I'm fuck that you know so like i there's probably no right way to do whatever the hell you're doing in this life to your offsprings but what you think is best for them um yeah so like having that woman and having that mother tell rita these things that were never told to her was a big deal to me yeah yeah i think uh you know, Rita Farr in this episode was our uh, was our uh, core of Doom Patrol type character of the episode. Where it's this is the person we're going to focus on with the, with their problems, and and not really just focus on what's wrong with them, but focus on how those characters relate to us and and why we love Doom Patrol. And you know. Rita Farr's kind of issue with her mother is something we can kind of relate to if, if we're ever struggling in that capacity. And you see it with the beekeeper and her daughter and how she treats her and what she actually wants for her daughter is is uh, is a positive thing, but done in a negative way. And Rita Farr really is that character in, in this episode. This is the character that you have to kind of chew on what's, what's being said and, and what's being shown to you in the episode. And I really like that. Um, th- there's, it, it doesn't really give anything away. Like uh, it, it doesn't really spoon feed you the answers because uh, Rita Far Rita Far's uh, arc in this episode is not answers. It is more of like we're we're putting questions out there for you to chew on outside of the episode. Uh, this is no longer about. Um, the, the characters of the show right now. We're, we're talking about like those problems that are the the foundation of Rita Far and to apply that to to your life if if you're going that route in in, in your headspace um you know I don't know what the answer is because what the beekeeper says is that you know the mothers they strive to do the best for their child out of love like they do love their child but they have a terrible way of of going about how to do that the right way and you know, saying that Rita Farr needs to find a surrogate since her mother is no longer around. And, and Rita Farr does try to do that, but I don't know if she answers it because she just kind of ends on questioning what she's there to do. And even I'm starting to question, is are we being asked to thank the mother in some capacity? Because I feel like... I. I feel like that's inherently wrong. Like you're not supposed to do that. Mm-hmm. Like you are supposed to be mad. Cause this whole time we've been, we've been told like, you know, the mother traumatized Rita's life by doing what she did. 
just so Rita could get where she is now. And then Rita's like, well, I got on the, the back, the inside of the back cover all on my own kind of thing. And I don't know where we're, what to think because, and I think that's the same thing Rita Farr is going through, which is like the, the, I don't know is, is the answer kind of or where we're at. So I, I don't know if I'm wrong or maybe I missed something, but I like that. I like that not knowing truly what the answer is. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the answer was obvious. And when she's screaming at the bees about, you know, you know, using the bees as, as her surrogate mother to yell at, but, um, you know, I, I feel like Rita Farr is trying to somehow connect with her mother in a way that like resolves her of her, of her issues. But, um, I really liked the conversation that they were having. I did too. Um, you're you're right you're you're not wrong there's more questions than answers i don't think we were given a definitive answer because rita wasn't like okay with you know yelling at the bees kind of thing you know she was like well i thought this was supposed to work you know she walks away um we do get a scene after that that like has some sort of uh empowering stress reliever or just a um, some sort of some form of catharsis, some, right? yeah, some sort of the ca- catharsis, catharticism, catharticism, cause the cathartic experience is with like her using her powers <laughs> and you know saving that 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 guy from the mugging and everything like that. But I think the bigger sense is like when Rita was saying, you know, when she had the argument of like I was on the cover of Vogue. It was the back cover. Okay, it was the back inside cover, but I did that all on my own and I'm proud of that. That's the answer right there. Like that's what you have to have to uh that's what you have to ride on. Um because when it comes to people with imposter syndrome, the biggest obstacle is not believing in yourself. Um, so like her becoming Elasta woman and accepting the powers of, of the blob lady and all of these things that she's doing, that's the answer we're looking for. That's the thing to prove to Rita's mother of saying, look, I can do it. These are my talents. I'm, I'm doing this. This is me. Not the acting thing. The acting thing is fuel for the imposter syndrome. I mean, because you're just doing that, you're going... I mean, that's your job. Your your job is to pretend to be someone that you're not. So that's just, like, direct fuel for that. Um, but what Rita does do is that she is able to use her powers. That is her. That is all her. And everything that she's been working towards for the past, you know, 60-something years or what have you... Uh, like she that that's that's her she's proud of of what she's doing she's proud of being that hero or wanting to be that hero um so yeah there's your answer right there like this is what Rita just did at the end of this episode at the end of her arc is what she needs to be proving to her mother like that's the thing of saying look what I did I did this I'm not bad I'm good at my job this is my Oscar Yeah, that's a lot 
It's a lot to process, but I really enjoy that. I, I like that take. I really do. It's um, because of the fact that she is uh, suffering from imposter syndrome and the fact that she is an actress, which is that you don't, that's, it's a common thing. And it's a common thing yeah. for people in that mindset that they have to uh, work through it. And it's tough. I wonder if I wonder if we're trying to get to like a, a balance between the two, the 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 two the two circles that are like, um, to hate the mother or to thank the mother for how for where you are in life because obviously thanking the mother completely it, it seemed wrong like you shouldn't be doing that right. but hating the mother completely might be um uh arrogant of of what the mother was trying to accomplish and so to to kind of get in the into the into the middle ground here maybe and i could be wrong but like it to you know you know the mother says focus on your other talents and well if she is focusing on her other talents she's moving on she's being the beekeeper and fighting crime she's using you know what she has to go make her own her own life decisions yeah. now um, exactly, and and that would that would take some sort of like, thank you for trying, mother, but now I you know, but I really need to do this on my own kind of thing. Yeah, and and that would, and that's not totally hating the mother. That's not totally like, uh, dis um, disapproving, dis dis uh, disowning what whatever yeah. the mother has done, uh, turning all that away. Uh, you know, there there might be there might be a. Uh, a middle ground, a way of, of forgiving the mother, but not, um, not excusing the wrong. If, if Rita is able to separate her, her lives as Rita Farr, Hollywood actress and Gertrude Cramp, AKA Elasta woman or whatever person mm -hmm. that she is now, that's another good, good place to be. Um, so, but when you're saying like thank thanking the mother for for doing what she did to to get her to this spot, it's weird because in here it's like it's like if I'm trying to work through that, it's like she'd be thanking her mother for forcing her and, and putting her on the path to being an actor and all of these things and getting her these roles and these movies and and whatnot, which in turn brought her to the set in. South America, which then caused her to fall in the thing and, you know, get the powers and everything like that. But also, Niles Calder did that. So, like, at what point... Where's the, the the difference in Rita thanking her mother versus Rita thanking Niles, which is something you're not supposed to do. So, like, mm -mm. Yeah. It's, it's not there. Whatever Rita has to do, she has to um, reconcile with what her mother did and what that turned in what that turned Rita far into. And then on the reverse side, Gertrude needs to accept the person that she wants to become. And that person is a pseudo hero or what have you, uh, with these abilities and, and wanting to wanting to do good and wanting to help people with what she has, you know? Yeah, I I wonder. Yeah, I wonder if that is like what what all of the problems with with Doom Patrol is is that they and it's hard to speak about it with um, about K Chalice because that that one takes the most uh, 
patience and, and supporting because that that one is truly one of the worst experiences. But uh, Rita Farr and Larry Trainer and and Robot Man and even Cyborg with his father dwell on their trauma and they might find it easier to hate those that have afflicted them than doing something with where they're at now. And not saying that they need to go out and be superheroes, but that they need to really try to find the answers um, on on how to move on and, and how to become human, how to be normal or at whole again. Um, and I think that's that's where we leave off with Rita is, is her, you know, uh, becoming the bee, beekeeper, apparently. So um, I, I, I love how, how this ended in this episode for Rita, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to see how that plays out in the next episode as well. Yeah, good, good. I was surprised at that arm, man. That was some good, that's some good <laughs> that elastic good. arm right there. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. And it's cool that, like, when we see the Doom Patrol, like, use their powers or what have you, it's not, like, a big fight scene. It's not a giant arena battle, you know? They're not in a warehouse with people getting thrown into empty barrels and, and, and crates and, and stuff like that. Like, what you were saying in the beginning of the episode, how, like, the argument of, like, oh, I want, like, Arnold Drake, uh, my greatest adventure, Doom Patrol. Like, I want I want them to snap in. And it's like, no, no, you, you, no, you don't. You want them to be dealing with their problems and then all of a sudden like a power gets used and you're like oh snap that's cool like season one uh when cyborg's arm first turns into the sonic cannon you don't get that a lot obviously and and for great reason but like when his arm turned into yeah. the sonic cannon, you're like oh shit hell yeah sonic cannon arm awesome when you know uh two episodes ago when the negative spirit came out of larry and like grabbed everybody and and flew away and saved everybody like that's that's awesome that's the powers that i want to see and it's just the right amount it's not over over the top it's it's not wild you know you're not like that you know shooting lasers out of your hands or you know rita's not being a giant woman uh you know stomping on on things or, or what have you it's it's just the right amount um and I'm hoping it stays that way. You know, I don't need a giant epic fight scene of everybody using their powers fucking Infinity War bullshit, you know? Yeah, and I think it needs to come out of necessity with Larry Trainer doing, you know, negative spirit release um, and, and and stuff like that. Uh, it, those and like what happened here with, with Rita Farr as, as the beekeeper, this... It, it it means more when the superheroism happens out of necessity. They with uh, through their trauma, they then have to use the superpowers to to do something for for the good, for the better. And um, I like I like when they use it that way, and I like when they also use it unwarranted. And then it seemed like oh that was a mistake. You shouldn't have done that. Which is what happens. In Puppet Patrol, when you see Robot Man uh, dismember all those Nazis, Mm -hmm. and then the repercussions of that is like, yeah, you got to see Robot Man fight Nazis, and then it's like, oh, but you're a fucking killing machine. Like, I don't like that. And that's when we get, like, 
the repercussions of that because you didn't do it out of necessity or trauma or like something about that, like created more problems. So that's what I really like about that. So, um, definitely a thumbs up for me about the Rita arc. I always love a good Rita arc and I love April Bowlby doing this portrayal of Rita. It's like, obviously my favorite character of the show and um, am I misremembering her- something? Am I so in my mind? There's a alternate cover to a, a young animal Doom Patrol where Rita is wearing a beekeeper's suit. Am I completely making that up in my head? Is that is is there is there source on that? No, I'm sure someone. I haven't seen yeah, it. I haven't seen I haven't it. Seen am I just? It. I think I might be fantasizing that in my mind. Um, Maybe someone will someone will show us like a a Rita Far beekeeper someone thing. Call me stupid. Cool Why see. didn't you know this? Like, okay, come on, dude. You want just <laughs> come on. The episode's called Doom yeah. Patrol or Dumb Patrol. Let, Let me, me be, be dumb, dumb <laughs> for this. I can I can do it. Uh, the way my mind works with looking things up, it's like I have the idea. I'll save the idea to the void, aka Mark, and then I'll wait for someone yeah. to correct me. You know, shut up. Yeah. I'll be like, hey, you know when he crashes through that billboard and maybe uh, Robot Man was coming back from space? And then someone's like, yeah, you're right. Look, he actually did come back from space. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I knew I was on to right, something. there you go. Speaking of which, I don't know <laughs> if we talked about it, but you do, I mean, we I posted on it on Twitter when, like, the uh, the trailer came out. But, man, you got that Kite Man call out. Hell yeah. It's like, that's it. That's the best. Kite Man exists in this Doom Patrol universe. And that makes me so happy yeah absolutely um for those that maybe don't get it you want to explain it to the the viewers of kite man hell yeah part kite man is kite man he's comic book character um and he is exactly what he says he is he is a kite man uh famous for saying hell yeah so everybody just kind of adapted the uh, phrase you say it in one go, Kite Man, hell yeah. At least that's what I say. That's how I reference uh, that character. He is Kite Man, hell yeah, to me. Um, and it's just you know a, a good phrase of enthusiasm. If something's cool and you want to say hell yeah, you just should preface it with saying, "Oh, that Kite Man, hell yeah." You just say it one word, and it works. Everybody's happy. You get a good you know you get a laugh. It's a good joke. The girl that you have a crush on thinks you're funny. She might smile at you. Maybe you get a little. You get a little intimate later on or, or what have you, you know, but am I just doing, I'm just doing fantasies now. Yeah. Maybe, uh, then you plan to marry the girl and then you find out that the girl actually has a long time crush on her actual friend and then they get married instead. Oh my God. And, and you're like, and then you're like, kite man, hell no. Jesus. And then, <laughs> I'm, ex- I'm just spoiling Harley Quinn at this point. Is, but, wait, um, is that a, is that a, that's a thing in Harley Quinn now? I thought you were. Watch the show, you motherfucker. I thought you were putting a dig at my own personal life, Mark, and I was about no, to go cry. No, but that's cry. the glory. Of, that's the glory of these DC, DC shows is that you can relate to that stuff. Um, but I think that is a perfect segue into our next, uh, our, our final big arc of the episode, the main meat and potatoes of the episode. I don't even know if potatoes is the main part of the meal. Um, but uh, the 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 sustenance of today's episode, and we're gonna start that off by a little gag that happens in the DC Universe only uh, version of the episode, 
And uh, that shout out to uh, Kale Hensley uh, from the DC Cinematic Minute Listener Society who, who uh, mentioned this to us. Um, he's he spotted this this gag that happens in the DC Universe version only, uh, and it's not included on the HBO Max version of Doom Patrol. So you'd have to watch or have the DC Universe app to see it. Um, but uh, if you if you watch today's episode on the DC Universe app. That when when the main Doom Patrol, which is going to be in today's episode, it's going to be Cyborg Ronnie, Larry Trainer, and uh, Miranda, and uh, they're going to go inside the painting, which is kind of cool. And there they meet uh, the Beard Hunter, Ernest Franklin, is played by Tommy Snyder, the Beard Hunter. But in the episode, they're asking, you know, like, oh, where is Mister Nobody, right? And then they say, oh, he got, he got some gig on some animated show. And that's supposed to be a reference to Harley Quinn because Alan Tudyk yeah. plays Joker and, and Clayface on the, on the animated show Harley mm-hmm. Quinn. Um, but what's funny about the DC Universe one is that in the bottom right corner, that actually pops up like, a, like streaming now as Harley Quinn. It has like a, like a reference. It's like kind of like lays it out kind of like a, kind of like an elbow of like, Get it? Like he's in this show. They're in this show. Um, was the band? Did it show like Alan Tudyk or Mister Nobody or anything, or was it just like the uh, title card for Harley Quinn? Uh, it's just a title card for okay. Harley Quinn to like to like check out so the show. So it wasn't like a, I wish it was. It wasn't like a shoving buddies type thing. It should have been a shoving buddies. It really should have been, and um, it should have been like Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy or something. Harley Quinn and Joker kind of like doing the shoving buddies thing or like friends or something like mm-hmm. that. They really should have leaned into it and, and made it a thing. And I, um, the listener who brought it up, I, like they were like, Oh, they should have kept on HBO. And I think they should have as well. Like it would have been funny to see that. Um, and maybe they'll add it in later when Harley Quinn, uh, joins over to, to, uh, HBO max. Cause you know, they, we have the ability now to to update episodes, and apparently Disney Plus is very good at that, in probably the more frustrating ways. But um, yeah, like there's a there's a little Harley Quinn gag in, in today's episode, and I, I really like that. Um, the other the other gag that happens in this episode is uh, I don't know if you noticed the the underpants that Beard Hunter is oh, wearing. Oh yeah, well, how could you not notice that? <laughs> My eyes went directly how to you... that. Are you kidding? <laughs> how could you not notice that? Uh, me undies can't top that, you know. It's a, it's a uh, clothing department. I, 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 under, I know when, yeah. God. Well, I don't know. <laughs> 20, 20, 20 years from now, people are going to be like, what the hell are you talking about? Did you forget how to speak English? You think, no, uh, you want the, uh, I am, Mark, if uh, I'm writing down the date right now, and if this stuff is still up in 20 years, I, Talking about the internet? I'll give you a hug. Yeah. Yeah. This is our, our digital footprints are here. Jesus. Long after we're gone, which is only, you know, 20 years, not that Can long. Can you imagine? Uh, what if the dinosaurs had internet? What would their digital footprints be like? Pretty big, right? Pretty big. Pretty yeah. big. A lot of data. Pretty big. Pretty big. Pretty big. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say, I'd say pretty, pretty big. big. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's... It's nice to get to. It's always nice to see uh, a Beast Boy cameo, and uh, I really like Teen Titans Go a lot. I think it's 
such an underrated show. I think a lot of people come around to it, but I still think there's a lot of people who are yet to to give Teen Titans Go a chance just because they're so hardcore into like the original yeah. Teen Titans quote unquote anime, like, no, even though it's, it's not an show. anime yeah. and it's it's like it, you guys got to get it's into silly. it. It's silly. It's good. It There's shot. some great references to hardcore fans, especially in the mm-hmm. first season. Oh my god, there's some good references in Teen Titans Go. I was working at the comic book store when like that was new, and it was a constant uh argument for my subs. People would come and be like, "No, like oh, did you, did you catch the reference? you know, they would pick up a book or whatever Starro bullshit. It's like, oh, did you catch that reference in Teen Titans Go? It's like, no, I don't watch it. It's like, you should, even if you just see that reference, it'll be worth it in your opinion. You'll probably get some chuckles if you watch the whole episode, but like seeing the references to the older books and all of this other like old storylines, that's where it's at. Um, But the fact that the Beard Hunter has uh, underwear with Beast Boy, a former Doom Patrol member, and... In Teen Titans Go, there are Doom Patrol episodes. We we talked about them. Um, mm-hmm. So that was, yeah, I mean, that's just fantastic that they were just like, yeah, no, he has to have Beast Boy underwear. It fits. It makes sense. It's perfect. Um, God, fantastic character, that Beard Hunter. I mean, dude, fan, he knocks it out of the that's park. That's some <laughs> acting right there. That is, that is good. That is, and that's good comedy too with the, hmm, hmm, hmm. Like going going down the line with it, ah, oh, it was fantastic. Yeah, uh, he got yeah. an animated gig. Haven't seen him since. All that stuff. Such a well played character, well adapted character. We say it a lot. Like these characters are so so well adapted from comic book into a better version. And yeah, the the original Beard Hunter was also satirical in its sense of like making fun of toxic masculinity. But like Beard Hunter in this <laughs> in this show does it in such a more laughable yeah. way. I'm a self Where the other one is Shinobi kind of... Warrior. Like, <laughs> yeah. Self taught Shinobi Warrior <laughs> and part time Fortnite streamer. I know how to hide. Semi professional uh, Fortnite streamer, yeah. Yeah. And he's like, uh, where he's like, get behind me, uh, help her. She's slow. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just, uh, and it was working. <laughs> it like, worked. It fucking it worked. worked. Um, uh, I, I really do like the idea of uh, only one side of him being painted white because 2D on a canvas and everything like that, that whole, just that, uh, you know, mindset of reality and shit is great. And that, like, he's facing the opposite direction uh, when they, like, meet him and everything like that. It's just cool. Like, that's some really cool metaphysical crazy shit that I like to think about when I think about g- jumping into a painting, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That it was it was cool and fun in that like that Doom Patrol way where it's like they can even just jump into the painting and they're not supposed to jump into it. Uh and it's it's great to see that. And I love Miranda's kind of dig at him where she was like, So you only painted the front of your body? You should have painted both and Well no. Uh, you, you shouldn't because it doesn't work like that. It's 2D everywhere else. Like it's, it's painting yeah, 2D. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't work like that. Um, I mean, the reason why it was blank and we couldn't see him at the front of the painting was because Beard Hunter was camouflaged. He was painted front side of him. Um, yeah. Which is fantastic. It's great. I just, I, I, I loved it. I loved it a lot. 
Um, Let's talk about that Miranda character. What did you think about seeing Miranda as the as the dominant as, as the primary in this episode? Um, it's definitely like a um, it's like that character model of uh, you know someone that is confident in like a uh, ill confident situation that takes uh, that takes charge. Uh, throughout all the chaos thinking that they're doing the right thing when really it's like you you could be making it worse or really you just don't know what you're doing you're you might you may be falling into things by luck or what have you um it felt like that what i really liked was when we got the scene of of jane sitting in the underground and everybody's like you know having the party because miranda you know called upon the the correct um the correct personalities to, to use the powers and, and save the day pretty much. And, you know, Jane was sitting there like, I've saved us a thousand times, like no big deal. Um, which is true. I think it's more of like a, uh, I don't know why were all the personas thinking that Miranda was doing it better. Um, maybe it was because it wasn't as fast and chaotic, you know, like Miranda saw an opportunity and she went for it versus like Jane just turning into hammerhead because she needs strength or to, to kick someone's ass or, you know, just her like, or, or silver tongue, just like showing up because she wants to say, fuck you and use it as knives. You know what I mean? Maybe there was like an aspect of, of, of somewhat more control and unity over the personalities that Jane uh, may have been shown uh, with lacking in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but altogether, Miranda being the primary and upfront definitely uh, worries me. Obviously, with the, the realization that Jane saw relating to Scarlet Harlot and her station being closed and everything like that, it seems like Miranda does have ulterior motives f- uh, f- for K, uh, for the protection of K. Um, and I really think we need to keep on keeping in the back of our mind. Like Miranda was uh, down, like she was dormant for a long time and probably for good reason. You know, like there is a reason yeah. why Jane is the primary. There is. Um, yeah. We just haven't <laughs> seen it yet or, or, or they haven't seen it yet. Yeah. That, I, that's a question I, I have. I've been asking myself lately, you know, like we know about every personality from silver tongue to to hammerhead to baby doll is, is knowing why they exist and and what they do and what their powers are and, and all these type of things. I have no idea why Crazy Jane is is the primary or what she can even do or you know the Crazy Jane is probably the most strangely normal one and I maybe that's the thing maybe that's that's a, the obvious answer that's that we don't we don't register with but like i don't get what crazy jane's abilities Knowing, are that's what, what kate told do. her in the last episode her her power is to know things she knows them you know she knows the personalities she knows how she knows the best ways to protect Kay. she knows the personalities and and what they do and, and their differences and 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 know and knows that they're you know individual personalities and whatnot and that they each have their own role you know jane isn't closing up scarlet harlot station because that's like 
she's Miranda's some you know uh, uh, repressing some sort of sexual outburst in that sense, right? And and with yeah. like her accepting the death of baby doll, that's repressing the childhood uh, happy and 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 all that stuff and trusting men and these kind of things. It's like she's deliberately putting those away, uh, which seems sinister, you know. Well, I think maybe Miranda would have liked Baby Doll and Flaming Katie, but uh, you know, and 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 putting them in the well is maybe Miranda's way of of um, trying to save them because she actually likes those personas. But Miranda might actually be po- uh, posing, imposing like an authoritative um, rule over what personas can actually be alive or, or yeah. not, and. I think maybe she's she's deeming Scarlet Har- Harlot as a bad persona, and so without without regard to Scarlet's life, and without the the consensus of of the underground, she's just going. All right, your station's closed. You you know we don't want. I I don't want you to be around. I don't like you. I think you're a negative influence on on Kate Chalice's life. So you're out of here. Um, I think that's where what's going to, what, what might unfold is, is that, you know, she's, she's getting rid of personas without their asking, you know, and, and after we've seen baby doll and, and flaming Katie die, you know, what does it mean for persona to die? And should they even be killed off? You know, you, you don't have that right to just kill off Scarlet Harley if that's why her station's closed. You know, just because you're primary doesn't mean you can go and do that. Those that's a that's a whole other person. You know, that's that's not just a personality disorder. That is Scarlet Harlot is now her own person, and you have to respect that because Scarlet Harlot was created by Kay Chalice to protect her, just like all the other 60, 63 personalities were. Like you don't have the you don't have the right to to to, to decide what happens to one of Kate Chalice's, the child's personality. Like that's not for you to decide Miranda, even though you're primary now. Um, so it's very alarming and, and, uh, you know, it's a great turn to, to see what, what happens next. Um, Miranda was like, uh, you know, throughout the episode, I was, you know, I was scared of Miranda at first to be like, Oh, what is it? What is it going to be like with her as the primary? But, um, first of all, Diane does a, a, a great job with these personalities this episode and really knocks it out of the park with Miranda and Flit. Um, and, uh, like, I really liked Miranda as, like, her personality, like, which was strange because I know I'm supposed to be afraid of, uh, you know, kind of cautious of what she's doing in the episode or or just cautious of her in general. But in the episode, Miranda was kind of, like, a very entertaining character and a breath of fresh air of, like, common sense. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, she comes and she tells our trainer, like, you should give them yeah. space. And he's like, I should probably go talk to him. And she said, like, you could do that. Yeah. But that would be the opposite of what I just Definitely said. Definitely like, uh, the voice of reason in this episode. Yeah. There's such a cool way that Diane does the character like that, which, she, you know, she'd be like, we we probably shouldn't go into, into painting because that is your dumb ideas coming to play. And we shouldn't be doing that. Like, it's... I really love that, and uh, she has like a, an immunity to the the idiot mm-hmm. or whatever they're calling it. Um, and 
it's it's really cool to see that character. I like the look of the character. I like the long hair and like the dress and all that. And she's making dinner or she's making food in the kitchen. And Larry Trainer's like, she's apparently a really good cook. <laughs> uh, so there's so much to really like about that Miranda character. Uh, but I think one of the funniest moments. Um, oh yeah, and it's also really really cool to to see how she does kind of like conjure those personalities to do exactly what she wants where she's like, all right, silver tongue, come out, do your thing. And then I need, uh, Lucy Fugue, Lucy Fugue. Thank you. Lucy Fugue to be like, all right, now use your electricity to, to zap the, the scants away. Just an amazing job by Miranda to, to really use that, that, that Jane power. Yeah. Um, perfectly. Um, which makes you think like if it was Jane on the surface, would she have just stopped at, silver tongue and just like you know silver tongued everybody just like instead of hit the bed you would have just knived you know metal shard everybody kind of thing well i wonder if crazy jane would have not had the immunity to the to the scants and she would have probably i think i i think she probably would have as well just because of because of the mind of the person and how yeah. it's separated and everything like that. So it's it would be very interesting to see. And like um, we know that Flit <laughs> was not immune to it, and that's that's probably what I was getting to. Is like the funniest part of this episode had to be Larry Trainer asking Flit to 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 take them to the hospital. Yeah. And boy, I this was great. I I loved this. There's a there's already people memeing like the scene between them like trying to go and see Dex trainer. And then <laughs> Blitz like, what if we just posed as doctors? Yeah. And man, that shit was funny. Like I love the kind of like the eighties design of Flit as a character. Like Diane is like this kind of like, she's got like the eighties hair mm-hmm. and the makeup and the, and the bedazzle, like the jewels. Mm-hmm. Like it's just such a cool character. I, I love that, that moment where it's, they just <laughs> like your trainer dressed up as a doctor again. Man, that was funny to me. I really enjoyed it. I did. I, I really liked all of that. Um, just the fact that, like, the uh, the mannerisms Larry was having towards Flit. It was just like, okay, we got to go. Like, <laughs> it was just great. It was good comedy. Um, yeah. And the, this, uh, the Bureau of Normalcy being like, fuck, not again. Yeah. <laughs> Where did they? <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, like they, they look high in this, in this scene where they're like, we're here to see Dex, um, uh, Dex trainer stat. Yeah. <laughs> and they like laugh at each other. Like we're totally not going to get caught. <laughs> it's so good, man. I love this. It was bit. great. It really is playing to that. Just, you know, the scants giving you bad ideas, man. Oh, that's so funny. I could like I this is definitely like a rewatchable episode through and mm-hmm. through. Um and then um I don't know if I'm skipping anything, Nate, but uh before we go into our, our, our final pair uh in, in this episode, but um you know, the Scant Queen says like that Cyborg and Ronnie have like the dumbest idea ever. We or they are their own dumb idea mm-hmm. is them being together. Um like a duck and a lobster. Um 
this is the this is the one you know you know we've been talking about it for a while kind of like candle maker but it's like if you know about what happens in the books and stuff like the source material that you know this is all a ticking time bomb and um it's very curious to see what happens with uh with ronnie and, and cyborg and I, I definitely think that ronnie is the the lobster in the situation to to uh cyborg being the duck in, in this situation um yeah i think there's a little bit more into the whole duck and duck and lobster thing um and and like mating uh habits as well between those two animals <clears throat> they say lo- well something? they say lobsters mate for life kind of thing like you find your lobster it's like they just have a one it's it's you know it's one lobster they find the other lobster and that's it um but ducks it's like you know it's ducks is bad <laughs> ducks are promiscuous that's a uh tame word to use what are you saying ducks are uh unfortunately um aggressive in their mating habits and everything oh, like that shit. so like yeah, you're so right and, and, and I ducks, totally didn't think and ducks of that. don't share that 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 idea of of you know mate for life with with the one partner other duck you know what i mean it's it's just that duck or that duck or that duck or that duck kind of thing so like the comparison to have you know you guys are as bad as a duck and a lobster it's like yeah those two have the exact opposite mating ritual so it's that kind of fits um wow yeah so don't don't pin don't uh, don't pin who's a duck and who's a lobster in this situation because that's rough but I didn't even think about it that way. That's <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Um, Good call. But uh, I agree with you. Um, it definitely is a ticking time bomb with Ronnie and Cyborg because we know that the comic book character of, of you know, the original Ronnie character was uh, an adversary to Cyborg. So it seems like there is going to be something along those lines um especially because i think she had a vial of the idiot as well with her yeah what was I that mean, it's like I, I assumed it was the uma jelly yeah, or you know idiot whatever you want to call it but i was like now why would she steal that i thought maybe she would steal something else but know, it could help her she might have why? to give it to someone maybe give it to star labs or give it to i don't know checkmate just you know like those kind of it's it's that type of thing where it's like i'm going to take this uh, and maybe use it to my advantage later on. Yeah, I never even thought of, like that was something I saw at the episode, and I went, "Why would? Why of all things would yeah. would that be what she stole?" But then you know that's a great reason that they, unless she's like taking it in like the mindset of like, "Hey, you know, this is a love potion number nine." Oh, you making a Harry No, Potter. I was making a oh. song reference. Love potion number nine. Not Harry Potter. You don't make Harry Potter references anymore. It's canceled. It's canceled. It's all canceled. They got the wizards. Harry Potter's a cop. <laughs> Harry canceled. Potter's a cop. Trust fund kid that turned cop. Get him out of here. Um, what was I going to say? Like uh, that. That goes back to like when you have like these flavor of the week type villains, but it's like okay, I know it may seem that way, but they actually build towards a, a greater thing. So when you see Dr. Time and, and Butterfly Collector, I'm sorry, Red Jack and stuff like that, and then you're like, oh, but those mean more down the mm-hmm. road 
So introducing the scant queen or the scants lets you get the Uma jelly, which lets you uh, uh, get crazy superpowers, yeah. which you can use later, which is what happens in the book. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, maybe she maybe she maybe she drinks the Uma maybe jelly, that's so. maybe in her mind that's like, oh, I can if this is like how humans evolve, I can take this and I will evolve from uh, whatever cybernetics were put inside me that are killing me kind of thing which she already she still has cybernetics in it so if we're gonna pull on that string if she takes it and does like that whole evolution thing uh she'd be like weirdo super evolved human cyborg kind of thing in my mind like like it's like yeah yeah like composite or like a like metallo type thing that's what i think i don't know why but whenever i think of ronnie evers in this uh show and like how she would relate to cyborg i immediately go to oh she's gonna be like metallo i don't know why evil robot yeah like metallo or i try to think of like what grid does to cyborg in trinity war in the sense of like like her cybernetics might uh try to take over or she can't control it something like that maybe like doc ock and you know spider-man 2 kind of thing where it's like the the cybernetics uh influence her her decisions in a, in a weird way uh by t- taking the uma jelly or something like that so maybe um yeah very curious but um it is definitely taking time on a lot of these things are taking time bombs um which is, you know, it's it, it'll be interesting. This I can see kind of like where it's headed, especially like with the end. And we haven't even ta- we didn't even talk about Mark Shepard returning as Willoughby Kipling, mm. but that kind of like it, he's in the episode and he does, you know does a lot of great stuff. But um, we're going to uh, kind of not talk about it because like of what where we're going to be heading to in, later in the season. But I can kind of see where we're getting to. I just want to know how the Doom Patrol are going to be able to solve the the, the climax of the situation because we're definitely going to reach a climax soon because we only have two episodes left. I'm just curious, like once we reach that peak, like what is the resolution? How will they solve where we're headed to with Ronnie and Candlemaker and Miranda and, you know, the 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 stage performance of our town like where are we gonna get with that um there's so many things like coming to to a head here um but with that i think we've talked long Wait, enough on. on today's episode oh yeah go i for did it. so you like you touched upon it a little bit i do this is just me like wanting to talk about it <clears throat> um i love the fact that willoughby kipling has such a prominent role in this um Obviously, like thinking about him as the John Constantine type uh, being, you know, the the magic mm-hmm. uh, bearer. It's just great. Um, I really enjoy seeing Willoughby Kipling. Like that's that's just awesome. You know, at the end he is uh, leaving, and he's like in the phone booth, and he's going somewhere, um, which I should have. When the the blood on his hand and like the the words that he uh 
puts on like the little panel there. I should have paused it. It's probably a reference to something great. Um, I mean, I can find it for you. Give me two okay. seconds. Um, but yeah. what I was going to say is that like, I, I just love all those like magic transitions that he has, like him being in the phone booth, him cutting his hand, like doing the ritual thing and like the smoke coming up. And then all of a sudden him hearing the, the musical cue to like go to Niles, um, which is awesome. Like that's even a, another thing that I want to know more about. Like Niles has this specific, uh, um, you know, song, uh, Mrs. Brown, whatever the hell it was that I wrote down at one point, um, in like the first episode, um yeah mrs brown you have a lovely daughter uh just like that ability is just cool to me like you heard like the faint lyrics of the song that 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 conjured willoughby to to niles before so like when he's in the little phone booth and like you hear it again it's like oh snap like he's getting called that's that's his thing and he knows it too and he just like shows up in the woods where niles is and he's like you know like okay so is this the call that's what I was talking about earlier in this episode, like when we were talking about Niles. I was so beside myself that he's at the point of of of, of end. Like that's you know la- this is the last option. Um, it's terrifying that uh, you know Willoughby has to be put in that kind of situation. But again, being a magic bearer, you you do the job. It it it, it, it you know it fits within his wheelhouse. Um, what do you got Mm -hmm. for me? So this is what I thought it was when I first saw the episode and I told Johnny, I was like, I'm not going to read that because it's so silly. Um, but you know how in the episode he, he, uh, when he actually succumbs to the idiot, he was talking about being in love with the the unicorn Mm -hmm. head. Um, so this is like a love letter that he wrote to, uh, Met, which is the unicorn. And, uh, it says Met. You, me, a dewy glen, you suckle my baby carrot like a bashful fall in a world free of judgment. Call me Willoughby Kipling. That's cool. So what he's doing is that he's just like putting that message in a phone booth. Like that's him. That's him calling. Like that's him leaving a message, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's not. I was thinking the the whole phone booth thing. Like that was a mode of transportation. It's not. That's like just his. That's how he leaves messages. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, he he leaves it in like a. It's like a weird sex phone booth because there are, like, um, there are like, all these like sex ads in here. Like there's a, a, a beautiful profession, women of the. I can't read it. Like, it's just it's just of like love. escort ads and stuff. Yeah, Buttercup 42 Double D. There's a phone number in here, like a full-on yeah. phone number. Uh, is it a glory hole? Actually, is he like in a fucking glory hole or some shit? No, but there's like uh, one One of them says Amethyst, uh, which I, I know that's like a DC reference almost. Um, Man, there's so many phone numbers in here. They all have the same area code and uh, the first four digits of the phone number. I was at a... But then they all have... Like they're all all these phone numbers are very similar. You all have they all are zero two zero seven nine four six, and then there's different ending phone digits of zero nine one two zero one eight four zero one three. I can't read that one. Zero nine seven three zero three one eight. Like uh, here's another one. It's zero five eight four. 
so many phone numbers here. They're probably all fake, but... Maybe the um, last digits uh, correspond to the years of issue dates or characters, that kind of thing. You know, that's this is, yeah. again, our numbers mind and minute by minute going, going crazy. Yeah, like, I wonder... I mean, these are, like, British phone numbers, uh, UK-based phone numbers. I wonder... Maybe someone will try dialing it and see see what happens. Um, but it is, uh, yeah, it is, it is interesting to see all these phone numbers. But yeah, uh, definitely laughed at the <laughs> "you suckle my baby carrot." <laughs> that's funny. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what that's where we're gonna end on uh, for today's episode. If you guys enjoyed everything you heard, you can find us on all social media at DC uh, at Radio Doom Patrol. You can find us on all social media at Radio Doom Patrol. And, uh, you know, if you, uh, you know, let us know what you thought about today's episode, what you, what you love the most. And if you want to chat with us, you can join the Facebook group, the DC Cinematic Minute Listener Society, where we talk about today's episode or any episodes that you're catching up on. Uh, and if you want to support us, please leave a, like a good, a positive review on, on wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps us out on the show. It lets other people find us, um, out there in the ether and, um, you can always go to tpublic.com and search for us and, and buy merchandise. It really helps to show out. And we also have a Patreon. Support us there. Helps us get new equipment and stay afloat. So, yeah. With all that being said, DJ, please take it away. All right. Next up, we got Mrs. Ketterman on the line. And uh, thanks for the UFO spotting. But... Try to remember the exact location next time, hun. Okay? <laughs> <laughs>